Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Wildgoose, Co-Manager of the Nomura Global High Conviction Fund and Head of Equity Investment at Nomura Asset Management UK. Tom has been with the firm since 2007, having previously been a management consultant with Deloitte Consulting and then PA Consulting for seven years. He became Head of Research in 2011, Head of Equities in 2014, and has been an equity investor for 18 years, managing sector model portfolios internally as an analyst since joining Nomura. Tom holds a Master's in Engineering, a Master's in Computing, is a CFA charter holder, and is an exam-qualified management accountant. So first of all, Tom, a very warm welcome to you, and thank you for spending some of your time with us. No problem. Yeah, thanks. So if we could uh, start at the top in terms of the uh, higher conviction fund, what, what are the uh, basic objectives of the fund? Our basic objective is to deliver an attractive long-term return for our investors. We aim to be better than the average by about or around 300 to 500 basis points or 3 to 5%. And importantly, with volatility not dramatically different to that of funds which hold far more stocks. We hold in the range of 20 stocks where the average fund could hold 60, 70, 80 or more stocks. You might think that's, that's risky, but in fact, uh, you can achieve a very good diversification effect with a relatively small number of stocks. Uh, and, and that's where we get that, that volatility commensurate with uh, other funds. But having, having a fewer number of stocks gives you a chance to focus on your best ideas and therefore achieve good long-term returns, uh, better than the average. Another interesting side point or, or, or feature of the fund is that, as you know, uh, the growth style, that, that those stocks which really focus on just growing revenue uh, and perhaps less so on growing profit, have outperformed a lot over the last decade. Uh, and it's been a significant factor <coughs> in the outperformance of most of the uh, top performing funds, which typically have a growth style simply tilted in, uh, towards those type of stocks. We've actually achieved similar sort of performance but remaining neutral on growth versus the value style, value being simply buying stocks that look very cheap uh, on a price to earnings type uh, ratio. We think that that's quite an important feature of the, the, the strategy we have. It, it reduces the risk associated with certain investment styles coming in or going out of fashion. Uh, we rely on just selecting the right stocks. Um, actually, right now, we're slightly underweight growth um, and, and we've achieved good results without having to just uh, have that have that style risk if you like it's interesting isn't it because this um value versus growth debate has, has reared its head again certainly over the last um year or so but i guess i'm not sure what your thoughts are i guess ultimately it's important to be buying the right stocks regardless of uh, any tag that you might put on them yeah it's 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 more that that type of stock has tended to outperform. Yep. And so funds that have a strategy to pick that type of stock has tended to outperform. If that type of stock falls out of fashion and the, 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 the mood of the market changes, then you would expect the type of fund that has a strategy to pick that type of stock would start to underperform, much to everyone's displeasure, I suppose. We obviously recognise that and so really try and rely just on our stock picking rather than having any particular fund style. Um, and so we hope or we think that our strategy will produce 
a more consistent long-term investment return than those funds that have a big style effect. Uh, you okay. don't have to look very far to find portfolio managers with, a, with the reverse of growth, with a value style, really complaining very hard that actually the reason they've underperformed is simply because their style is out of fashion and you just have to wait for the style to come back into fashion and then they'll outperform again. We don't want to take that excuse either. Uh, we just try and stay neutral um, and, and, and pick good stocks, good quality companies which are trading at attractive prices, invest in those and, and actually the results have been quite attractive. And, and within the fund and the stocks that you mentioned, how, how does the sort of sector and country allocation break down? We are overweight to the US, but actually the, the overweight country, overweight sector, whatever, is simply a, an outcome of our stock selections. We don't make any allocation to sector, allocation to country. We are unconstrained on those things. Uh, so the, the fact that we're overweight in the US is simply a, a result of our stock selection. We found that, or historically found, more higher quality, cheaper companies in the US than elsewhere. Uh, and as a result, we're overweight the US. Although interestingly, although the companies themselves are domiciled in the US, the economic exposure is much more global. So if you look at the uh, revenue split by region, our holdings are actually very close to average, actually. Um, which rather st starts to tell you about something of the attitude of managements uh, uh, and towards capital allocation, uh, shareholder friendliness, and so on in the US, it tends to be it tends to be higher. Whereas the equivalent company in, uh, say, Europe or perhaps even places like Japan would probably be less shareholder friendly uh, and less, thus less of an interesting investment for us. And do you think you could maybe talk us through one or two of the top holdings you have within the fund? Yeah, of course. One that's interesting is uh, not the top holding, the second top, it's Unilever. Right. I bring that up because yesterday the stock price, it stock jumped uh, quite considerably. We added that stock to the portfolio in late 2019 uh, sorry, because we felt the market was incorrectly extrapolating as a period of slower growth versus peers like Nestle. We felt that eventually Unilever would catch up. And so the stock looked un undervalued and a good opportunity to buy. Um, and, and that actually was happening quite nicely up until the coronavirus uh, period kicked in and everyone went into lockdown, uh, which actually th it was interesting. It gave us an opportunity and we added more. But to tell you the full story, Unilever has quite a decent sized business in ice cream. I'm sure you're aware some of it's consumed in home, some out of home. Out of home ice cream is about three and a half billion. Uh, and with, with lockdown, the market expected Unilever to be seriously impacted. Actually, out-of-home ice cream is about only about $3 billion in revenue out of the total of about $52 billion. So it's decent size, but not dominant. And of course, people consume uh, ice cream in-home as well. And so we kind of realised that was the case and added to our Unilever position in June. Uh, when the price was quite low. And yesterday, this, this, as I said, the stock had a nice jump. But interestingly, in-home ice cream jumped, or growth was 9.5%. So where people weren't going out anymore, they were staying at home and eating the same thing. So significantly offsetting the worries the market had 
uh, prior to, uh, you know, or during the coronavirus lockdown. Other top holdings are things like MasterCard. We think that's a really, uh, a really great quality company. Uh, currently, people are worrying about uh, cross-border trade and cross-border transactions, which is, which is, which is quite profitable for MasterCard. Uh, primarily because of the drop-off in travel, but actually this seems to have already bottomed and is in the recovery mode now. Uh, Mastercard's an extremely high-quality company, excellent returns on capital, very defensive or defensible position alongside uh, Visa. You know, really ticks a lot of the quality boxes uh, that we have. You know, return on capital, the ability to generate returns in the future strong competitive advantages all that kind of stuff is really good in mastercard uh, and and we've held that from absolutely from day one in the fund and it's been a great investment for us bearing in mind the the inevitable challenges that the pandemic has has brought with it how's the fund been coping in in the current down or the downturn which was obviously uh, bottomed out sort of late march yeah we we've actually we're about 300 basis or 3% ahead of the average or the benchmark so far this year. We actually felt in January and February that the market or the market prices of, of, our, of our holdings were starting to get a bit high, close to what we would consider to be fair value. So we'd actually been selling. Uh, we had obviously had no idea the coronavirus uh, sell-off was coming, but we felt the prices were a bit on the high side and we're very disciplined on valuations, so we were selling. And actually, by the end of February, we were up to about 8% cash in the, in the funds, which proved to be good in two ways. Obviously, the sell-off came, which was, which was positive. Um, actually, we outperformed even without considering that cash holding. But the good thing is, because we'd been disciplined on the way up, we were able to be very disciplined on the way down. And so as, this, as stock prices fell, as you know, very sharply, yeah. we were able to add. Every day, we were adding and adding and adding. And by the end of March, we were down to zero, essentially zero percent or fully invested. And obviously the market really rallied. So we got some fantastic prices. The one we did add was Microsoft. We had really great prices, already made a huge return on that. Um, and and it's, it's worked, so it's worked out quite well. In April, May, we did very well. We outperformed. Some of our selections worked well. We didn't particularly change anything. We just added to our existing holdings and that was good. The interesting thing of, of, of late, and particularly in June, was the way that the obvious, in inverted commas, let's say, COVID winners uh, outperformed so dramatically, Amazon being the obvious one. And these are such enormous companies that uh, it really dragged the market up. And that was a bit of a headwind for us. But, but overall, yeah, it's, it's, it's worked out so far pretty well. So the, the million dollar question, obviously we had those shark falls in March and uh, certainly in some, some markets, most notably the NASDAQ, for example, which is now powering ahead by about 19% in yes. the year to date as if the pandemic had, had never happened. Um, how do yes. you see the, the outlook and, and the return to some sort of normality from here? Clearly there's concern over the coronavirus second wave or even perhaps the end of the first wave in places like the US and Brazil. I mean, obviously, Florida, California, so on, are, are a really quite bad situation. Brazil, uh, also terrible. Essentially, the places which have a, let's say, a virus denier uh, in charge have, have ended up with not a great situation. Uh, I'd say, additionally, you, you, you know, beyond that, you, it's not entirely a one-story situation. The relationship between the US and China is, looks a bit fraught. Uh, and of course, there's a, an upcoming uh, presidential election in the US as well. Um, and we do know that uh, 
uh, or as we all know, in fact, that President Trump has a history of, uh, let's say, lashing out or being slightly erratic, uh, particularly when he's uh, on the defensive, which is currently the, the situation. So all of that paints a picture of uh, continued elevated volatility and so on, which, you know, it could be a bit frightening, could be a bit uh, concerning for investors. They think, OK, I'll, I'll keep, keep my powder dry and, and stay in cash. Uh, but actually, I, I think that could, could turn out to be a mistake. Coronavirus vaccine seems to be on the horizon now. There's, there's many, many projects underway to, to develop vaccines and a few of the front runners, you know, really showing pretty good uh, results. So I think it's a reasonable assumption that something will come along late this year or perhaps the first half of next year, which will, you know, really support a, an economic recovery um, as lockdowns are lifted and so on. So the picture for company earnings and cash flow in 21 and beyond starts to look a lot better which means that taking advantage of any volatility now to buy makes sense we talked about what what we did in our fund in march well i don't see such an enormous sell-off coming again uh, so perhaps that that golden opportunity that we took has now been missed but there could be more volatility coming you saw yesterday the jobs numbers from the us weren't very good and the market sold off uh, it's possible that 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 there's 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 another opportunity to buy and, and i would suggest taking that opportunity yeah. because eventually things do recover the vaccine will come and things will look better and, and in 12 months time 18 months time i think the picture will be looking a lot a lot less concerning fascinating insights tom and unfortunately that's all we've got time for so our thanks go again to tom wild goose the co-manager of the No Mura Global High Conviction Fund. And thank you for listening. Do join us again for another interactive investor podcast.